Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. Hello, church. John Lee, a member at First Baptist Church here in Magnolia. I grew up on the north side of Houston, Texas. I started dibbling and dabbling with the gangs, mainly my brother. I was more into the money and the selling drugs part, but when you're selling drugs, I mean, you have a lot of competition out there. And at 17 years old, I ended up in Harris County Jail. And while I was sitting there, this, this gentleman came next to him and he told me, hey man, I don't know you from the man on the moon. He said, but hey, whatever you're going through, the Lord told me to tell you that it's gonna be all right. And I guess a small seed was planted in me that day when that guy told me that. So when I got up to my, when they booked me and sent me up to the tank I was going to, I picked up a Bible. And I picked up that Bible at 17 years old, man, and I sat inside that cell. But something was drawing me and something was pulling me. I ended up getting a five-year sentence for the drug charge that I was on probation for and the assault on a public servant. So I ended up coming home on that five-year sentence and I went right back out. I was more violent and more angry than I've ever been like I mean I can sit here and go on and on like me giving my testimony it's it's actually hard because there's so many details in my life of being an angry man of being a violent man and anybody in my family and or who has known me at that time can vouch for it I mean and I'm and that's not nothing I'm proud of but I ended up back in prison again on a retaliation on a police officer and another drug charge I do believe that what the Lord starts in you he will finish and I started kind of questioning myself like I knew a seed had been planted that was burning up on the inside of me so I came home I started selling drugs again I'm not gonna say I'm this super bad guy but I was a bad guy I mean I lived in darkness I packed guns all the time I fought if you looked at me wrong I fought because drugs and alcohol had took over, man. And I, the Bible says they don't give the devil no place. So the last trip I went, I went back down to prison on an evading arrest. I got into a couple fights real quick. I started getting into it with the officers real quick. I ended up in super seg. There's only four of them in the whole Montgomery County Jail. I mean, I was practically losing my mind. And I felt somewhere deep in my spirit, like, man, you've been faking and shaking all these years when are you finally gonna get real with me and i talked to god like i've never talked to him before but you know what he probably answered me more speedily in that prayer because he told me you know what that's what i've been waiting on for all these years as i went to prison this time i got a 40-year sentence for an evading arrest and i started getting real with god and and i ended up ministering down there to the medium custody god started working on my heart he started allowing me to be a light in the darkest place like he said he called us to be a light in a dark and perverse generation man and when god breaks that heart and god changes you and when the holy spirit comes inside of you man it really takes a dark person and brings them into this marvelous light and it's just the grace of jesus like hey let me get this straight i'm not here even to tell you about john lee this is just my story for his glory but this is the testimony that he has given me if you fall and you slip just get up repent God will turn a mess into a message. God will turn a menace into a minister. And God will turn your test into a testimony, man. God bless y'all and I love y'all. It is a privilege to hear a story like that. But as we finish the series, Darkness to Light, 
and we walk through these selected passages of the life of the Apostle Paul, I think it's critical that you and I understand that John Lee's story does not by some beautiful, magical way fall over on us. John Lee's story of repentance and of truth and of understanding of who God is and how he must die to himself does not fall on us as some sort of thing that we get to be benefactors of by proxy except to hear and to respond the same way. John Lee's salvation is not your salvation. John Lee's work in the prisons is not your work in your neighborhood. And as we walk and watch what Paul did in this life And as we see his journey from darkness to light, it should ask us one question. Where and how does our journey from darkness to light look? Paul was dead. Christ encountered him on the road to Damascus and Paul became alive. Not because Paul was good, but because Jesus died for Paul's sins. Because God loved Paul so much that he sent his one and only son. So you and I need to understand that Paul's journey in our prayers should not be for more people like John Lee. Now, I want more people like John Lee, but here's what I think our prayer should be. How can I take my story to someone else? That's our mission. That's our journey from darkness to light. It's not to say, hey, God, I'm praying for some golden age to come back where the sidewalk lights were on and kids, you know, had a quarter for milk and I think it was probably cheaper when you were going to school. Right? That's not a golden age. It's just some nostalgic thing we remember. Because guess what? The devil has been walking on this earth like a roaring lion from the day he was cast out of heaven. And whatever golden age we believe we want to get back to, you need to know it isn't going to start. We can't be in a waiting game for God to start something and us to join him. He wants to start it in you. There was no revival when Paul was doing what we're going to learn about today. There was no, you know where the revival started? In Paul. So here's the thing. I've had, I guess, some coffee today. I'm a little bit fired up. Okay, but, but here's what I want us to know, and it's critical. It's critical. It, it's, the life of Paul should not be such a picture we can't live to it. It's something calling us to something that we are longing for in the deepest parts of our soul, and we've tried to fill it in a million different ways. But if you haven't opened your Bible up as a result of what you've heard about the life of Paul that I'm here to tell you, that's, I don't understand. I'm going to read a passage out of chapter 19 of Acts today. It is a passage and it should compel you to find out where these guys came from that Paul has as his disciples. It's an amazing story. And, and what happens here is a beautiful thing that should draw us into the scriptures and bring us deeper and deeper and deeper. And what we'll find every time, the deeper and deeper we go, it's one message. It's one message. It's how Christ saved me and how once that happened, I am no longer Jesse, I am Jesus Christ, and I'm going to places and sharing that message so that other people will experience what I've experienced. Not for me, but to our big idea for the day, and here's what it is. All our victory is in Christ and for Christ. All our victory 
is in Christ and for Christ. There's no other place that we will go. There's nothing else we will do that will be greater than that passage. And as we read this passage, because it gets a little weird, especially for us Baptists today, we need to understand we aren't about the end results. We're about Christ's victory. Whatever happens in the minutia of us following Christ, that's going to happen. And, and here's what we need to know. It's probably going to make us more uncomfortable than comfortable. It's probably going to make us feel more like dying than living at first. Because there's parts of us and there's parts of the places we live that are calling us to something that isn't true. It's shakable. But God is promising and calling us in Hebrews to what? The unshakable. And when life starts to shake, and it feels like it might be, we've got to cling to the things that are unshakable. And here, spoiler alert, there's only one, and it's Jesus Christ. It's the only unshakable thing we have. Let's get started with prayer. Father, we come to you today and ask you to open up our hearts and as you open up our hearts through the truth of your scripture that you would send us deeply and deeply and deeply into your word, that you'd give us perspective that isn't our perspective, that you'd draw us, that you'd give us the patience to endure, that you'd give us the will to keep going and that we would be concerned with your victory and only your victory at our peril, yes. At the loss of things we held dear, yes. But for your victory. And that you would remove the blocks that we've put in, that we have blamed on others, but we realize is us, that you'd remove it. That you'd give us a heart and a mind to see people the way you see people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn with me to Acts 19. We're going to start in 8. And as I said before, I implore you to read this whole passage of this chronicle of how Paul was being shaped and how he was moving. We read these books, these letters written to these churches, and we think that Paul just started. No, Paul was like you and me. He came to know Jesus and he followed a path, a 10-year path. He was what they call the 10-year silence. He was sent back home for eight years, called to Antioch for a couple, and then went out on his first missionary journey. Paul was put on ice to mature and to grow. I also believe to learn a trade, like building tent, making tents, which we'll see here, he did. There's a journey and a process, and when Paul was writing to Timothy, hey, fan into flame the gifts that came on to you when I laid my hands on you. This is the story of his journey into fanning into flames. And it wasn't through some, some supernatural sending of the Holy Spirit. It was through obedience and prayer. So here, verse 8. Then Paul went to the synagogue and preached boldly for the next three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some became stubborn, rejecting his message and publicly speaking against the way. So Paul left the synagogue and he took the believers with him. Then he held daily discussions at the lecture hall of Tyrannus. 
So if you've ever been to Greece, I haven't. My family, some people in my family have just went to Greece, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, and they told me this story of how when you go to Greece, it shuts down. One o'clock to four o'clock. The whole country. Everybody's taking a nap. My, I've already got my stuff packed. We're going to Greece, right? <laughs> Who doesn't want a three-hour nap every day? They say, biblically, it was even longer. Biblically, they shut down even longer. Eleven to five. They said more people were asleep in Greece in biblical times at 1 p.m. than at 1 a.m. So when Paul was working, you understand Paul was working. He was spending the middle parts of his time. The day when everybody else was napping, Paul was working. He was making tents. And at the time when everybody broke and stopped, Paul was going to places and preaching the word of God, the truth of Jesus Christ. And you know where, if you read about Paul, he always says what? The Jew first and then the Gentile. It's the way he handled his ministry. Paul went always to the Jew first. He always went to the synagogue and he preached and he preached and he preached and he preached. Paul went to the Jew first and for three months he argued with them and battled with them and they became so stubborn that he took those who would believe and he left. And you know he didn't quit. Listen to me. All victory, all of our victory is in Christ and for Christ. We are winning when we are obeying. We are not responsible for the results. I just go. You just go. The question I have for you, and you should be asking yourself, is am I going anywhere? Is the message leaving my body? Heard a guy say the greatest thing that we could believe and understand is that God of the universe is using us as vessels, conduits, but unfortunately, vessels have a a lid. And I think there's a lot of vessels in here, but my question is, where is it coming out? The hope inside of you, where is it leaving and going to someone else, or is it stored up in your vessel? I think he's a touch off. I think the greatest thing we are and need to see that we are are conduits of the power of Jesus Christ, not vessels. Because a conduit has two holes. Comes in, goes out. A vessel has one. Fortunately, you're in charge of that. So we have an opportunity. Paul had an opportunity and his he went for three months and beat his head against the wall and he preached to these people and then they rejected his message. He left, but didn't stop. He went to a more hostile place. He said, hey, you guys, you guys mind if I use your area while you're at nap time? These guys are gonna go home and take a nap. Paul said, hey, what we're gonna do after we make these tents all morning, we're gonna go and we're gonna teach the truth of Christ and him crucified. And he went, and he went for 24 months. Every day he went. Every day he went. Every day he went, and he taught, and he taught, and he taught, and both ends of Paul's life were open, and he was a conduit. And guess what happened? Not by Paul's doing. And we get this wrong, because we're about to get into some interesting things. Verse 10 says this went on for the next two years so that people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. Two million 
people in two years passing through heard the word of the Lord. Through Paul's stopping, inconveniencing himself, and sticking to it. And as a result of Paul's doing, of Paul having some magic words, no, guess what started to happen? God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. Woo. Some of you were very scared. Some of you were like, hey, what did he do? I want to do something unusual. Some of you are like, no, thank you. I get it, either side. It says in verse 12, even more interesting, hard for us to understand, when handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were put on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. As a, as a guy who does some contracting work, does some construction work, that would be very frustrating. Hey, anybody know where my apron is? Hey, it, it, I had my tape measure in there. Hey, where, I gotta wipe, where's my handkerchief again? I'm trying to wipe some sweat off my face. What'd you do? Hey, Ethel, bring back the handkerchief. No, Ethel took it, go put it on her cousin. Or, you understand, people, things were happening. Faith was being built Miracles were happening, but that's not the victory. The victory is that people were coming to faith in Jesus. Jesus is the victory. The miracle is just a thing that sometimes happens. Ephesus was a crazy, ritualistic, superstitious place. It was a vile place. It was a place that you and I may be familiar with. It was just that kind of place. They were in Ephesus. Things were happening, and Paul did not do anything except that God gave him the ability to do odd, wonderful, miraculous things. But it did not come as a result. Listen to what he says. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. But whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me and not without results. If God pours it on you, it will happen even if people are just taking your stuff and laying it on people. Paul wasn't doing anything except obeying. What did Paul say? For I have worked harder than any of the other apostles, yet it was not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. 1 Corinthians 5.10, 15.10. Paul's like, hey, you want to know the answer? I just put in the work. I just went to the places and I just did what I needed to do. And here's how that applies to you and me. Thankless jobs abound in this place. Right? You're a part of something thankless. You're part of every day wondering what's going to happen. How is this going to end? When does this stop? I look at people who take care of loved ones and I say, I bet I know how you feel. And see, we minimize these tasks that we've been given and these places that we've been put in life as if there's somewhere else to go. But wherever you are, the victory's in Christ. So if you're sitting here taking care of a loved one and it's going to be years, I'm telling you right now, there's something God wants to do miraculously in that. So guess what Paul was called to do? Make tents, and then in the open time, he went to this hall of Tyrannus, and he taught, and that's what he was supposed to do, and he did it. And as a result, through his obedience and his hard work, we know what happened. Because listen to what Jesus said. In John 14, 21, this is what Jesus said. Those who accept my commandments and obey them 
are ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And listen to this. I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Or, as it says in another translation, manifest myself to them. Doesn't say people who's pr- who pray magic things or say words in special ways or people who believe in this or say that. No, it says you do what, you, you accept what I've called you to do, you do what I've called you to do, and then I will manifest myself to you and you will see me do things that are victorious. It isn't you and me looking at somebody else and saying, I wish that was my life. That's what this whole story of Paul is. It's a man who walked his journey imploring us to walk ours. But instead, we're waiting for some herd thing to happen that's going to move all of us together somewhere else, and it just isn't biblical. Coming here, waiting for revival, is an abomination of the Scriptures. Coming here and waiting for God to do. He's doing it. He's putting you places every single day. And yet you're waiting to go somewhere else. You watch Paul. What did he do? He went from darkness to light. And everywhere he went, he took that light with him. And he says, hey, you want to pin this victory on me? No, sir. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. But if I have to stay here, I'll pick that. Now we get into some, this is my favorite part, the whole thing. So there's these group of people. It's a superstitious area, verse 13. Let me give you some background. These people had decided that they could take certain sections of Scripture and package it and sell it to, to gain a benefit. So if you wanted to be rich or you wanted to have affluence, you'd just take these Scriptures, carry them with you, pray for them, and then you would get, and they'd sell them to you, which is how nice of you guys. So they were just these they were this group of Jews, but they, were a little, they had a little bit of an interesting theology, and they were traveling from town to town. They were casting out evil spirits, and they were doing these things. Listen to this. Verse 13 says, A group of Jews was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits, and they tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation. They're like, hey, let's just bolt him on. Right? If, if you throw Jesus in, it's got to be better. Look what's happening to Paul. Before we move past that, listen to me. If you're bolting Jesus onto your life, if you're just like, hey, let's just put him on there with all this other stuff, just mentally prepare that we need to be ready to be and receive what happens to these men. It isn't Jesus and everything else. These guys were like, hey, look what's happening for Paul. Let's just see what can happen if we do this. And here's what I'm going to tell you. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That's true because of Jesus. But greater is the world than I am. You understand? Jesus inside of me, I am defeating the enemy. But if you try to take on the enemy by yourself without Christ, let's see what happens. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. Seven sons of Sceva. That's seven guys are in the room doing some thing. Somebody paid big money for this. A leading priest. They were doing this. But one time when they tried it, 
listen to this. The evil spirit replied, I know Jesus, and I know Paul, but who are you? And let me tell you something, folks. When that happens, this is what the devil's doing. He's rolling up his sleeves because you walked in in your name. Then the, the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. <laughs> I laugh and then I cry because of my friends who are taking this world on, the people that I know in New Mexico, the people that you walk to every single day, guess what I know? They're taking this world on, trying to find something to fill that hole, and instead of saying, it's just Jesus, they're like, maybe Jesus plus this, plus this, plus this, and what happens is, we end up naked and battered by this world. And you know what, that's a story somebody can learn from. Your story of defeat is only the story of Christ's victory. So we hide it and we act like, oh, I don't want people to know, but man, the best, the best moments in our life is when we walk people through what Jesus did despite us. So this word traveled fast. Anytime seven men run out of any home naked, battered, people are talking. Okay, nothing's changed. People are like, hey, did you see those seven naked guys running down the road? Yeah, yeah, I did, actually. Uh, because they didn't have Facebook back then. So they're like, hey, you better hear this. But what happened in the power of the name of Jesus in those men's pride in proclaiming the name of Jesus as a solution to that demon's problem, guess what happened? Let's keep going. The story of what happened, it says in verse 17, spread quickly all through Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike, and a solemn, respectful fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored, and many who became believers confessed their sin, sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books, burned them at a public bonfire, and the value of the books was several million dollars, some 50,000 pieces of silver. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. All because Paul said, I hope that the demons know my name. All because Paul said, I hope people can take handkerchiefs and are doing signs and wonders. All because Paul said, no, no, no. Because Paul showed up every day where he was supposed to be. And Paul did what God called him to do. And Paul didn't just take in the commandments. He obeyed the commandments. And he proved that he loved God. And because that, God loved him. Jesus loved him. And Jesus manifested himself on the work that Paul did. And as a result, who won? Paul? No. Keep reading. Paul lost. Jesus won. Because all victory, all victory is in Christ and for Christ. That's it. That's all. That's it. And so we have something to understand. You and I are not void of demonic activity in our lives. It still exists. It still pervades. And it doesn't look like some weird goblin that you just have to say no to every day. What did Satan say when he walked in to that garden? 
Oh, you won't surely die. No, you're smarter than you think you are. No, no, you're wise. You've got it under control. No, no, that's surely not what the Bible means. No, 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 stop, stop, stop. Just try it and see what happens. That's the demonic influence you and I are up against. You think the the Satan's going to go, hey guys, listen, eat this fruit and then die and then ruin the whole thing. And realize you're naked, realize you're afraid, realize this, separate yourself from God. Does he ever say the truth? No. He just tells you you're smart. James puts it this way. If you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth and bo- with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Ice cream person's back again. Last week, the same ice cream person was here. Uh, and I, that's cool. I get it. I, I love ice cream. It makes me happy. We were, always when we get serious, God sends the ice cream uh, truck sound. So I hope you guys have cash because they're not taking cards. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, listen to this, unspiritual and demonic. Man, I'm looking for, I'm looking for agendas to be against, right? I'm looking for people and diseases and and right wing and left wing and I'm looking for all this and you know what Jesus says I need to be the most concerned about is the inside deception and demonicness that comes from selfish ambition willingness jealousy that's it those are the demonic things that you and I need to care care for protect ourselves from it says this there for whoever there, for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every kind of evil. It's where it all starts. Well, I'm looking for some big evil sign to be against, but the truth is it's inside of me and I'm looking everywhere else but right there. That's what keeps me from showing up, is telling myself that God surely wouldn't want me to go where it could be harmful for me to go. God surely wouldn't want me to do what could bring negative, not positive, to my life. That's the things we're against. That's not God's wisdom. That's not biblical wisdom. What that is, is the devil. It's demonic. And that's where the disorder starts. But the opposite is this. It's God-given wisdom. But see, there's this good news. Yeah, man, there's all this reality. But there's a message that we take. It's a message that Paul, every single one of these passages, we're gonna read are passages written by Paul as a result of this journey of obedience he went on. And this is the message he said, the message that was revealed, the message that kept him focused that every victory is in Christ and for Christ. It's, it's our story did you know that 80% of the people that sit in churches in this United States cannot verbalize their faith? They can't tell you why they're saved or how they're saved or what it means for anyone else. 80%. That if I was to walk up to you, and I'm not, trust me, you're safe. And say, hey, tell me why you're saved and how it happened that it would be difficult for them to do that. Now, I think this room's different. 
But there's a good news. There's the truth. There's the reality. But then there's the truth, and here's what it is. There's a way that we can live our life. There's a filter that we can walk in, and here's what it is. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. This is about what we see in Christ. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience of God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. That's the answer. Jesus came with no pride, only humility. And as a result, he didn't think the position he was entitled to was even something that he could do. And if you and I are walking around this earth with any entitlement, we are walking in defiance of Jesus. We are saying that we are better than the Savior of the world we profess to have done it all. And when we walk around with answers that are better than his, that's what we're saying. But the good news is we have a model to look at and follow. But why did he die a criminal's death? Why did he die? Because he deserved it? No. Because Paul wrote a letter back to this church in Ephesus. And here's what he said. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers, and the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. And all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. The devil told us it'd be okay if we did. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. That's why Jesus died. That's why he came to this earth and humbled himself and lived as a slave and died a criminal's death, not because he deserved it, but because you deserved it and I deserved it. And his victory, listen to this, was in his defeat. Because that's our victory. Our victory is because Christ did what he was supposed to do and died anyway. The only one to follow God's commandment and die. The only one to keep God's covenant and die was Jesus. And he did it because you deserved it and Bring I deserved credibility it. to the message that we share. That's good news. For we ask it in this is Jesus' what it says. name. But Amen. God, Ephesians 2, 4, is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Tell you what that story does. That story takes nap time for two million people, changes the world. That story takes the truth of who we are, the reality we all know, the people that we know that are filling their life with everything else but that, that's what they need to know and hear and believe. And it won't happen until the people in these kinds of rooms stop praying for some herd to start getting on board and individuals start taking their faith seriously. And not just seriously, but taking their faith somewhere. As conduits, not vessels. You can be a vessel if you want to leave your lid open. I love that. But this is the story that there's nothing that I'm too good for 
There's nothing, there's nowhere that I can't be asked to go because my life is not my own because even Jesus Christ left heaven to come to this earth to die for me. And how dare me not take that story and tell somebody else. Paul's life from light to dark was not a story for us to do anything but look at and want to emulate, not the things. I'm not gonna go and pray, God, please make people say about me that I turned the world upside down. God, please don't, please don't have people start stealing my aprons and my handkerchiefs and laying them on their sick grandmas. But God, give me the faith to be obedient to what you've called me to do so that you can win, even at my loss. Next steps are this. Keep your eyes on the cross. And then feed the new character Christ has given you. It's my last sermon. Magnolia's first in this official capacity. And uh, don't, no, just get me through this because we got a lot of people who care and love about me. And to the, there's a guy sitting in the back over there that was sitting in the back of my first sermon. It's about four times longer than my first sermon. But let me tell you something. Because of people like you, not perfect people, but people who showed up, people who say, at least I just wanted to, my character has been fed. And you've built somebody as a part of something that wouldn't have been built. And I don't know what it looks like. And to be honest with you, I'm scared. It's all I've known for 20 years. But here's what I know. I'm not going to stand up here and I'm not going to ask you to, to die to yourself and not do it myself. And I'm not going to tell you that I understand how it's going to go, but I can tell you this. Whatever the victory is, it won't be Jesse Hardy's. It won't be Magnolia's first. It'll be Christ's victory. And that's all that matters. And what would it look like if these 200 people decided that they were tired of living a life for themselves? Not following me. You follow me. You're going to be cold and pot-bellied in New Mexico. That's my call. That's not your call. What would it look like if we said no more are we going to sit around and wait for something to happen but we're going to believe that what's happening is inside of us and we're going to take it out. What would it look like? Thank you. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today, and this is a room full of friends and people that I love and that love me. And we'll all be back and things will be different, Lord. We pray that they won't be. We pray that the world won't be different. And we pray that whatever the situation is, that we see our place in it. And the truth is we all already have you have never been clear on where, unclear on about where we should go. The only question that's unclear is what will happen to us when we do. And that you would forgive us for our fear. And you would forgive us for our apprehension and our lack of faith. And that you would continue to love us as you do. And push us and show us where we might go. Not for results other than your victory. Those demons knew Paul because Paul preached Jesus Christ. 
Paul's victory was your victory, not his. May that be our prayer today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.